This is Energy Voice Out Loud, leading the global energy conversation. I'm Alistair Thomas and welcome to our podcast. I'm joined this week by Ed Reed, our Africa and LNG editor and digital journalist Hamish Penman. How are we doing, chaps? Uh, well, it's been a pretty busy week, I think, whilst I was off enjoying one of those holidays. Holidays, is that how you pronounce that? Yes, holidays. I was on holidays. How was the week? Not be vacation for you, uh, given your destination. I know, I know, yeah. No, it was often sunny NYC, uh, and I assumed it would not be too hot, and I was very wrong. Uh, and <laughs> the pasty Scotsman emerged, so yeah. But no, it was good. It was good. We had a really great time. But uh, I was just kind of joking to the boys there that... Uh, I was kind of writing my thank you letters to the NGOs um, for doing all of their protests whilst I was away and didn't have to deal with it. That was nice, um, but I'm sure the I'm sure I'm sure that'll be repaid in kind at some point down the line. Uh, yeah, keeping well, guys. Keeping well, Hamish. Ed. Yeah, sounded off. Absolutely. I, I have also just uh, been on holiday, so I was uh, sunning myself by a pool in uh, the south of France, uh, which was uh, which was very relaxing. So um, lovely. Yeah, if it, I've I've come back with very uh, you know still very very pro swimming pool, trying to work out how to how to how to fit more swimming pools into my life. <laughs> we should all have a swimming pool in our life. I'm we? told Shouldn't that we? we're on the verge of a drought here in the UK, so I'm not sure how that's going to play out in this exact climate. But uh, I mean, <laughs> it's sunny. You know, it's one of the five days a year that you have good weather in Aberdeen. So, hell, um, yeah, we're, we're all happy. Um, we're all happy. But, uh, yeah, no, swimming pools for us all if we could. Uh, not sure we'll get that on the expenses, but we can try. Um, <clears throat> okay, uh, so enough of the, the, the tomfoolery. Um, and we'll kick off this week with Ed, uh, who's been following the latest on the proposed capricorn Tallow merger. And it does look... Looks like a little bit of trouble in paradise, Ed. Indeed, indeed. So, um, as you may recall, uh, Tallow has got a has has got a plan to merge with Capricorn. Uh, the plan would give Tallow shareholders about fifty three percent of the of, of the company, and, and, and Capricorn would have forty seven percent. Tallow brings sort of deep water West African oil expertise, uh, and, and and Capricorn's got a well, it's got some North Sea assets. I I, I believe it. It may still have some, but but its real focus is is sort of onshore in the Western Desert in in Egypt, producing gas. So um, there have been a few kind of squeaks of discontent from 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 some analysts and some in, some investors. I think Legal and General came out with uh, some concerns. Uh, I think last month, uh, and then and then this week it was uh, the turn of, of of another investor called uh, Palliser Capital, I believe. Um, and they said that there was there was no kind of meaningful strategic rationale for the for the move, and they essentially said that it was a, it was a it was a way for Tullow to get its pesky hands on on Capricorn's big cash pile. So Tullow's got a, a, a pretty steep amount of debt, and it's been struggling for a couple of years. It, it, it had a particularly horrible 2019, if if, if memory serves. And 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 for, so for Tullow, this this was kind of a very uh, compelling argument. You know, they get uh, they get they get some 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 cash from Capricorn. They get some new uh, new production capacity in Egypt. And you know, Palliser has said that, but for for, for Capricorn, there's very little going on for it. Uh, the two companies are quite different, it says, uh, and 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 the deal also seems to not really give any sort of a premium to, uh, or, or or really any any sort of value at all. In fact, to to its Egyptian assets, which uh, Capricorn paid about three hundred million dollars for. 
uh, buying it off uh, off Shell. So um, Palace are clearly sort of uh, saying that, that, that this isn't the way forwards, uh, that there are better ways to do it, uh, and 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 making the point that if uh, Capricorn shareholders uh, are you know convinced by the opportunities that Tallow has to offer. Maybe Capricorn should just return some cash to them and then their shareholders could buy uh, shares in Tullow themselves, mm. um, which, you know, you have to see is, 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 is quite, a, quite, quite, quite a, a, a good line of argument. Obviously, uh, Tullow and, and Capricorn management have, uh, you know, feel very strongly that this is clearly uh, that there is still a compelling, you know, rationale for them to come together. Uh, they talk about the energy transition, how these two companies can, can you know, create synergies. Which obviously means kind of cost savings and 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 you know reducing the cost of doing business, reducing uh, reducing admin costs, things like that. But you know it's got to be said that uh, yeah, this 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 isn't the only voice uh, op- voicing opposition to the deal. Um, and so so Palliser, I think said that uh, Capricorn would be worth in their. Uh, analysis uh 330 pence per share uh, and saying that the the merger plan uh, valued at about 197 pence so there's a big discount they were saying in terms of that sort of the the, the merger plan for, uh, for 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 capricorn so it it, it does seem that uh, there's some pretty uh, trenchant criticism um but as yet things are still moving ahead it does yeah i mean it's, it seems like a really interesting i mean presumably uh, if enough investors come out the woodwork uh, with these uh, squeaks of discontent is there is there a, is there a genuine threat to the deal or I mean it, it does seem well both sides seem to be pretty dead set on making this happen and from from what you describe there I can I can certainly see the tallow argument uh, I'm I'm not so clear on the on the Capricorn side of it but yeah I mean is there any chance of it not going ahead if enough if enough people raise their heads about this, I mean, I I think that's always a chance, isn't it? I mean, I think you know, so so just at the end of July, uh, another sort of an Egypt-focused company was 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 doing a deal to merge with a Canadian company, and the um, they needed, I think, seventy-five percent. This was SDX Energy, by the oh, way. Yeah. This they needed seventy-five percent of, uh, of of shareholders to to back the deal to to move forwards, and and that's the way I think. You know, when when these sort of merger stories, you always just kind of assume. Once you know they announce the deal, that they will have all their ducks in a row, don't you? But this SDX deal really went sideways, and I think only something like just over fifty percent of the shareholders actually approved the agreement, uh, and so it so it all fell apart. Hmm. So I think there is there is uh, you know there is clearly a potential for, uh, for 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 this not to go ahead. As you say, I mean you know for for, for Tullo shareholders, clearly there is there is a real sort of uh, compelling sort of a way you know a way out of their their, their difficulties. You know the cash flow, uh, the cash. You know paying down their debts. You know Tallow shareholders could finally you know receive a dividend after after some considerable time. But for Capricorn, yeah, who knows? I mean, it's 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 maybe not so compelling. I mean, I think it, it it's got to be said that it doesn't it, it it doesn't seem to me to be that there are you know that many sort of similarities between the business. Clearly, if you fire you know sort of you know people working at head office, that saves money, mm. but to what extent is that is that really going to be a reward for Capricorn shareholders who have clearly seen the seen the company through a number of ups and downs? Most clear, most 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 notably, I suppose that sort of massive and long running arbitration battle in in India. Mm. So for the executives now to essentially you know sort of you know leave and hand the reins to Tallow, maybe it's maybe it's not a done deal. Tallow got a new chief executive a couple of years ago, didn't they? 
I'm sure we talked about that. Has he enamored himself to, to shareholders with this ambitious plan to, you know, make money? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think the uh, yes, the, the 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 new CEO is is, um, is 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 very much sort of focused on the bottom line in ways that perhaps you know Tallow of old was not. So you know, in the the, the glory days of sort of African exploration, Tallow was sort of essentially running around the continent, signing up uh, deals with a number of countries, and I think they. The new executives have really, you know, kind of cut back on that, and they've jettisoned a lot of the of the old portfolio, um, and they've really slimmed it down to focus really just on on Ghana, uh, where they've got those sort of two big fields that they're working on, Jubilee and Ten, both producing, and both they say should should start increasing production sort of next year. So there is that sense that you know that there is there is still room for room to run for Tullo, but. You know, with this, with this sort of real focus on Ghana, um, and, and and sort of getting a, getting away from that, maybe some of the some of the sort of the razzle dazzle of sort of the uh, previous years, right? When you know Tullo could say, "Look, we're, we're signing new deals, we're drilling exploration wells," which is kind of part of the fun of 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 being an investor in, a, in an exploration and, and production company, isn't it? That sort of that sort of frontier excitement about about signing new deals, about drilling those wells, and, and Tullo, frankly, isn't doing that. Mm. This deal with Capricorn does seem to inject a bit of sort of razzmatazz into the story, doesn't it? By saying, look, you know, this is a new country entry with a substantial, you know, sort of uh, production footprint, but with, you know, sort of room to room to grow. And obviously that Egyptian gas story is quite interesting. There's, you know, domestic consumption. There's, you know, sort of talk about, you know, exporting LNG or, or, or sort of pipeline gas to neighbours. So it's, it's quite an, an interesting play to be involved in. Capricorn's also got, you know, some some quite interesting sort of exploration frontier things. They've got quite a, an exciting block off Mauritania. So it does seem like a like a yeah, again, kind of coming back to the idea that for Tullo, it seems like a like a real win. But for Capricorn, hmm. I don't know. I mean, it, it, I I don't know. I'm I'm fortunately I'm not in a decision, not on a point where I have to make a decision about whether it's, <laughs> it's right or wrong. But it, it 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 does seem like a bit more of an uphill uh, argument. Yeah, I suppose it'd be remiss not to to mention briefly. Obviously, uh, Capricorn, formerly Cairn, uh, obviously has many links to uh, Scotland. It is one of the kind of most successful. Uh, homegrown exploration companies. I suppose it's fair enough to say. Uh, I think it's been around since the 80s when it was uh, founded as, as Cairn. And, and, and clearly, um, from a, a UK perspective, this would mean them moving their headquarters down from Edinburgh to uh, London. Now, I'm not I'm not entirely sure what that means from a, a jobs perspective. And I, I dare say more of that will become clear uh, if this indeed goes ahead. But um, yeah, there has been some headlines around that that we should probably mention. As for the UK, uh, as you mentioned, they do have some portfolio uh, in country in uh, areas other than Africa. Uh, in the in the UK North Sea, pretty small. Uh, they used to have a, a, a wider um, uh, set of holdings, but I think at the moment, as things stand, after some divestments, the the main things that I'm aware they're involved in was uh, a few exploration wells with Deltic Energy that are coming up. Um, I think, um, and it'd be interesting to see indeed uh, if if those are a hit, would they stay in the UK? Would they sell them off? Because the partner Deltic isn't really known uh, or isn't really working as an operator. They're just kind of. Um, building up prospects and and selling them down, and and indeed would 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 Capricorn have interest in staying in the UK? I don't know, um, but yeah, no, it'll be very interesting to see how this plays out, Ed. So uh, thank you for your uh, analysis. Um, so we'll move on from there. And next up, we've got some, well, we've got some more protests around the corner. 
As well as these regular weekly news roundups on Energy Voice Out Loud, you'll also find lots of subject-specific box sets in the same feed, and I'm excited to be the anchor for one called the Megawatt Hour. Produced in paid partnership with BDO, the Megawatt Hour brings together experts from across the energy industry and across the world to examine the challenges and the opportunities of energy storage. As more of the grid gets its power from intermittent renewables, energy storage technologies, and batteries in particular, are going to be an increasingly important feature of our infrastructure. Over the course of 10 monthly episodes, we'll be diving deep into the tech, the policy, and the challenges of building out energy storage to help you better understand its opportunities, wherever you work in the energy sector. Look out for episodes of the Megawatt Hour in Energy Voice Out Loud, as well as lots of other special episodes wherever you get your podcasts. So, at risk of burning uh, listeners out on it, uh, more on Jackdaw this week, the Shell gas field approved back in June by the government, and there are more protests on the way, because there haven't been enough of them already, of course. Uh, The group called Stop Cambo, it's another project Shell's involved in that you'll have heard of in this podcast, planning a week of action starting on 20th of August, and have said thousands of people will be taking part in this bid to stop Jackdaw from going ahead in the UK. So, lots of details we don't have um, where this will all exactly take place, uh, being chief among them. But uh, the, the group's saying local rallies, political lobbying, action online is what's being promised. And clearly we've had all manner of protests in recent weeks and months, which has taken place uh, not only in Aberdeen, where Shell obviously has a prominent presence and clearly Jackdaw is off the coast of Aberdeen. We've also had things in uh, London and in in Edinburgh this year already. People will recall um, government offices being... uh, uh, well, I think people stuck went into them and stuck themselves with glue. Uh, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, I do you know, and everyone of course will remember the images of the 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 blood red paint being uh, splatted onto the Edinburgh. I think it was the Scotland office if I'm if I'm not mistaken. But yeah, that that's what we've had so far. Um, and uh, look, I mean, I'm 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 not sure. I'm not convinced necessarily that protests will stop Jackdaw now that it's been approved and. Uh, reached a final investment decision by by Shell. I'm not sure the government, or by extension the NSTA, could could roll back their approval of it, um, not without some serious disputes going on. But you know, Greenpeace has this judicial review bid launched uh, last month. Uh, we're yet to hear any more on that. They're trying to reverse the government's decision to approve it. What seems more likely, I suppose, in terms of government action is whether a second windfall tax could be imposed on the industry as as energy bills go up. We had news this week that I think the average household bill in the UK is going to hit 4,200 by January, which, um, well, we can get into, but but clearly there's some questions there about the amount of pressure that the government's going to come under. But yeah, no, I mean, clearly we've not had enough protests yet in Aberdeen. Um, and as I was saying, I was, I was really chuffed that uh, the, the protests that took place last week all happened when I was off and didn't have to deal with them. And the boys the boys uh, dealt with that admirably. Um, but we had, yeah, we had this climate camp recently in Aberdeen. We had uh, shell protests. Um, these, these people dressing up as oil slicks. I don't know if you talked about that last week, but yeah, doing this kind of interpretive dance and, and this dress outside Shell's offices. So I don't know. More on the way, um, I suppose. We'll see We'll see how that plays out. But um, 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's it's good for headlines. I'm not too sure whether or not the government would be looking to to roll back or or indeed shell at this point. What do you guys think of it all? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it does seem unlikely to sort of change minds at this point. But I, I suspect that uh, the, uh, the 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 campaigners aren't really focused, aren't, aren't really thinking that it's going to change their minds. But they are thinking sort of essentially that it's going to deter other other future investments, right? Mm. Other people who might be thinking about sort of going ahead with field investment decisions, just thinking, oh, crumbs. Well, if this is the level of protest that we're going to face all the way through the process, then maybe we should we should, we should should think of some other way to, way to do it. Maybe that's, you know, work in a different country or, or, or something else, or maybe build some wind farms. I don't know. I don't think building wind farms is a, a good enough antidote anymore. Shell, Shell's building wind farms, BP <laughs> is building wind farms, yeah. They're still hashtag shell must fall gets. Oh, you've seen the adverts, have you? Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah, hashtag, hashtag shell must fall is still being uh, still being tweeted. So I think it's going to take something more than that. I think Norway might be licking their lips currently at, uh, at everything going on here and thinking we're a way to this. This could be good news for us. And I think they'll probably be right. But no, I don't think it is going to detract. I don't think it will deter Jack Daw. Um, it's too late. Yeah. I've seen the video that they've posted on Twitter. They're saying, look what action can do. Um, we caused Shell to pull out of Cambo, mm. which might have some truth in it. But it also, Shell have repeatedly said it's the economics of the project. It has been a tough nut to crack for other companies as well. So it, it, the, the margins on it are fine. And it looks as if Cambo might progress even without Shell. So I'm not sure that's quite the victory it was well certainly it was thought to be back in december either yeah it's a material project for a smaller north sea independent it's 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 not a material project for a super major like shell and i don't know how many times um that needs to be restated but clearly the message but i mean yeah we, well, we had the news today of course once uh, more apparently <laughs> at least once more uh and yeah we had the the news this morning as we record uh our reports from reuters this is not confirmed by shell that uh shell is launching uh well a process to, to offload their what is it 30 percent in cambo um now I mean, will it more likely? Is it more likely to progress with a, another operator? You, you have to think so. I mean, I, I think, and I know we had all the numbers of Rosebank last week, um, and I know that Greenpeace have been talking about Rosebank, but I think purely by virtue of the fact that that has not got a BP or a Shell attached to it, it's just not getting the same amount of activist um, traction, despite it being, you know, in many respects, a similar project, similar location, similar resources. Um, but yeah, maybe not having a shell attached to it, and maybe from their perspective, it's just not worth the trouble. Um, maybe that means that Cambo will indeed go ahead. But if Shell does pull out, will we see the same kind of level of stop Cambo protests? Because you haven't got that brand recognition. It'd be very interesting seeing how that plays out. Just just on that just on that question of sort of the energy you know price caps. Mm. Obviously, there we, we we've seen the uh, the analysis this week from from Cornwall Insight. I think sort of predicting essentially that the prices will pretty much double by uh, April, I think, of next mm. year um, or, or, or more. I mean, do you think that that is going to make people maybe more open to developing, you know, sort of domestic gas supplies? I mean, obviously, it seems to be like a hot topic in, in you know, the, the conservative, uh, you know, sort of leadership debate at the moment. You know, I think yeah. Liz Truss came out and said that she was in favour of fracking. Mm. 
there's been a lot of people talking, oh, should we, you know, sort of abandon net zero goals? There's been a lot of, you know, the sort of, you know, talk about, oh, you know, how do we how do we reevaluate sort of the, the the role that hydrocarbons play? Maybe we should not be so so hasty to move into, you know, renewable energy and things like that. Do you think that that will actually have an impact or is that just a sort of a fleeting thing that plays out amidst high prices. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one to contemplate. I mean, I, in a similar vein, uh, Ed, I got asked during our kind of news conference in Aberdeen this week whether more people in northeast Scotland will turn away from oil and gas or turn on the industry uh, as they see their energy bills continue to soar and these profits rise. Um, if they did, I, I think that would be misinformed, although I can understand the sentiment. Um, but clearly, if you don't have an industry here, we'll import even more. Um, and what would you think that will do to costs? So, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I think I think most people would probably say that abandoning net zero goals in light of what's going on right now would be unacceptable. Maybe not everyone feels that way, but um, it's a pretty dif- difficult line to balance, isn't it? Um, yeah, the, the suggestion didn't seem to be that people would back more oil and gas domestically, funnily enough. It does seem that people would perhaps cry out for more taxes on their profits, um, which, uh, well, that may or may not be what happens in the end. We, we did have a bit of confusion this this week as well uh, about some reports in The Sun and, and PA, which we picked up on as well, uh, put our hands up there, um, suggesting that oil companies were going to meet the Chancellor about a second windfall tax. Turns out it was only utility companies attending that meeting. Um, so whether or not it's on the cars, it doesn't seem to be immediately there. Um, but yeah, you have to wonder if, if people are facing that kind of cost and then it doesn't seem to make a, any kind of impact on the super majors. Now, smaller companies with not quite the same investment pipeline in the North Sea, you know, they're feeling this uh, windfall tax. Um, but, you know, for, for companies to still be posting these massive profits and then more and more consumers, not to mention businesses who, you know, for business uses, as I understand it, you, you don't have a price cap. Um, so there are some that are posting these ridiculous sums of money that they're being charged for their energy bills. Um, so yeah, you could I could certainly see the argument for more people seeking um, uh, greater levies on the industry. I know that people from OEUK and elsewhere would would, would argue that, uh, but I can understand that sentiment. Um, I can certainly understand the sentiment of wanting to, to, to drill for more. Um, but, uh, you know, ultimately, as, as, as we all know, we're beholden to a, a global prices. So, uh, you know, there is so much you can do, but to a limit, I think, in terms of production in the UK. Um, but yeah, yeah, no, it's an interesting one to to ponder, Ed, and we'll we'll see how that plays out. But for for now, that's uh, that situation we're at, and we will we will wait with bated breath to see what happens with uh, the stop jackdaw week uh, on August twentieth. Uh, so uh, we'll leave that one now. Um, next up, an investigation into a Valaris drill ship going adrift off Scotland during a storm. Energy Voice presents Future Offshore, a free hybrid event at the Chester Hotel Aberdeen on Thursday the 25th of August 2022. As the transition gathers pace, join me, Alistair Thomas, and the industry leaders to shape the offshore agenda for the North Sea ahead of ONS 2022 in Stavanger. The event will feature three sessions. The first is on energy security. The energy industry must meet critical production targets whilst making the transition. As a tough winter approaches, what are the options? Session 2 looks at the North Sea as an energy transition frontier, exploring decarbonisation in the UKCS and Norway, where are comparisons appropriate and what can each learn from the other. Finally, Session 3 tackles the skills transition, what steps are required to reach the jobs and investment levels to ensure longevity of the offshore industry. 
In-person tickets are limited, but whether you want to join us virtually or physically at the Chester Hotel on 25th of August 2022, you can register free at future-offshore.co.uk. So, Hamish, I, I think I recall this uh, back when it happened last year, this Valaris uh, drill ship. Quite big news at the time. Uh, what's the latest on it? What's big news at the time? It was quite a while ago, so people are forgiven if they don't remember it. So, uh, as a wee bit of a recap. Um, yeah, Valaris drill ship, it broke free from its moorings in uh, at Hunterston in February 2021. And it meandered its way into the Channel of Logs and uh, eventually kind of uh, stopped there. Um, no damage was caused, it was no injuries, so it was, in the grand scheme of things, it was quite a lucky escape for it. But yeah, a report has now been uh, released into what happened, why it happened, uh, the consequences of what, and what, what potentially could have happened hadn't uh, had the anchor not kicked in and saved the day. So yeah, it was a big operation launched at the time. The vessel's 750 foot odd, so it's a pretty sizable beast. Um, and it, yeah, it was drifting without control, really high winds, it didn't have power. The engineers were unable to start the thrusters to get a handle on the situation. And uh, yeah, it was just a, a large amount of good fortune pr primarily that there were more serious consequences. So it was the anchor that really saved the day in this. So as the report kind of shed a light onto it, it had been deployed. Um, so it was the Valaris DS4 drill ship it was moored at Hunterston due to the high um, high winds. So they dropped anchor and um, yeah, while the vessel was drifting, it caught in the seabed, stopped the Chris, uh, the ship from crashing into the Great Cumbrae Island, which uh, is where it would have likely ended up, the report said. So yeah, there were also issues with the DS-8 vessel, which was moored alongside it, um, but it remains uh, at the jetty with the help of four tugboats to keep it in place. Um, and yeah, this 43-page report giving a, a big blow-by-blow -blow of how everything panned out. <laughs> um, a number of recommendations made as part of it too. Uh, Julon Asset Management, who were contracted to uh, prepare the vessel for, for layup and uh, NOAA ship management, management to a technical manager of the, the DS4. They were encouraged to review and revise their procedures uh, for planning for vessel layups and uh, learn the lessons of what happened, which I think was quite a nice friendly steer in the right way, given a massive vessel, you know, drifted off into the sea. But uh, always lessons to be learned. Cut them the slack <laughs> on that. It, it was very windy. It was very windy. It was very, very windy. Guess windy in the West Coast. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. If you've ever been to the West Coast, this won't come as a surprise. I imagine it was probably rainy as well, given <laughs> my few experiences of the West Coast. Um, but yeah, some, some key points that were uh, given um, as the, uh, kind of along the timeline of things. So the DS4 and the DS8, they were in Gran Canaria before they headed to Hunterston, um, probably a much nicer place in February than the west coast of Scotland too. Um, but while they were making their way over, um, concerns were actually flagged by the vessel masters about the mooring plans and the propensity for high winds to cause a problem. And um, so it was. Uh, yeah, so wind speeds were up around 70 knots when the DS4 went walkabout. Um, it's not a metric I'm particularly used to using, but uh, having done some very small Googling, it's uh, that's a uh, Huna wind. Huna <laughs> wind. The, uh, the conclusion I took from that. And yeah, I think the big one is that the great Cumbrae Island was lucky to come away unscathed because the, the DS4 was headed straight for it until the anchor did its job. Um, even then, the boat had to remain in the channel for a few days um, with tugs kind of pushing on it to, to reduce the strain on the anchor. So that didn't break as well because then God knows what would have happened. But yeah, all's well that ends well, I suppose. And the, the great Cumbrae Island is still here to... To tell the tale, which is lucky, but yeah, interesting report, big long one. Which so I've had my teeth into that for the last few days, but yeah, it was a good big story at the time. It's interesting to get a bit more, uh, a bit more meat on the bone as to how everything unfolded. Yeah, 
I mean, if, if it had run aground, I mean, you're looking at what? You're, there's going to be what environmental damage, potentially some pollution from the vessel, obviously, you know, safety for the crew on board. And I suppose maybe in this case, uh, something of a PR fire for, for Valaris, right? I mean, I remember... I remember in 2016, I wasn't working at Energy Voice at the time, but I, I do recall in the news, the, it was the Transocean winner rig, uh, not a drill ship, but a rig, uh, infamously ran aground off, again, the, off the Western Isles. Uh, did I say 2016? Yes, I think it was 2016 that was. And it was kind of a, you know, queue up a series of bad publicity days for, for Transocean. I mean, no one was on board there, so there wasn't that immediate safety risk, but people were looking for or checking out things like, you know, any environmental pollution uh, or, or or damage of that ilk uh, as a result. And it also, I think it sprung up this um, ongoing political concern. There wasn't an availability of, of tugboats in, in the West Coast at that time. I know that was a a political um, topic for some for, for a while. I think the, the nearest one's like 14 hours away. But I, I think in this one, they, they, there was some tugboat issue as well, Hamish. They, they hadn't requested one or, or something of that nature as well. Some some parallels there. Yeah, there were parallels. I hadn't re- either requested one in time or the... I can't, it was either that or the... But there were four tugboats um, deployed to keep the DS-8 in place. Right. I think that perhaps was all that was available at the time. And I mean, it's always... Just, just depends on which type of boat and there'll be a problem in the West Coast somewhere with the <laughs> ferries currently, but we'll, we'll leave that one there. But yeah, I mean, um, the Maritime and Coast Guard Agency, they were prepping for an oil spill. They um, they were ready on the ready on the island should it beach there because fearing the worst, I suppose. But um, luckily it didn't come to that. Um, it would have been a, a bit of publicity the industry didn't need at that point. But um, I mean, it, it seems also, I mean, I, th- I think... There are some there are some kind of questions because obviously we're also sort of heading into uh, hurricane season in uh, on the on, on the other side, aren't we? In uh, around the US, um, and obviously I remember I think it was last year that there was a hurricane and 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 some 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 drill ships got caught up in it, uh, and there were some questions about whether they sh- whether they were moving in time and uh, some some frankly terrifying footage that was uh, on, on on social media of sort of people getting thrown around and 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 sh- the sheer amount of water in these in these drill ships so it does seem like uh less there are there are there are always plenty of lessons to be learned coming back to that immortal phrase (laughs) we don't hear enough of it yeah well that's a bit flippant on me but we don't hear enough of it i suppose um but yeah yeah this the it's all very well to kind of look back and see oh it's just a report and no one got hurt and all the rest of it but you know it's clearly there was a lot of risk involved with this and yeah, I mean, it's interesting seeing our story about Hunterston. I mean, it's been a, a busy old time for, for Hunterston Port. Uh, that was last year. This year, they've got the, the Foynaven uh, FPSO. Uh, I think it arrived there this week, despite despite strike action for Altera workers. They seem to manage to get the vessel there. And uh, a lot of interest, some gallery we put up today, uh, this week. Um, and it's we are... Well, we're hearing, maybe we don't want to speculate whilst we're on uh, the pod, but well, maybe we do. If I, uh, well, <laughs> perfect time. I think it's fair to say... We don't do it often, say, I suppose. So. No, no, of course. There, it's fair to say there has been a lot of speculation as to whether or not that ship is going to go off from Hunterston to uh, outside the UK and to waters elsewhere to be scrapped. Um, right now, it's only getting its signage removed, basically, of all the kind of BP stuff because of the BP Foynaven field in the west of Shetland. Um, uh, is that west of Shetland? I think it is. It's off Shetland. Um, and then, obviously, uh, there's, there's questions of, you know, who is going to be able to to win the work to take it off and and scrap it? Because it's a twenty five plus year old vessel, I think it is. So it's 
looking quite unlikely to be repurposed. But uh, yeah, we're kind of waiting to see how that plays out. But for now, she's in Hunterston, and it's good to see at least a little bit of that work going to Scotland, I suppose, whether the rest, the rest of it will arrive. We, we don't know, but we shall see. We shall see. All right, I've talked myself to the end of that particular segment, and I think I have, by virtue of that, talked us to the end of our our journey like a like a drill ship crashing into an island. We too have arrived at our destination. Uh, so thank you for that, Hamish. Thank you to Ed and Hamish for joining me. I've been Alsa Thomas, and thank you for listening. Out Loud is the podcast from Energy Voice, leading the global energy conversation. Bookmark and subscribe to energyvoice.com, sign up to our newsletter, and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter for expert analysis and insight right across the energy sector. Subscribe to Out Loud on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please do encourage colleagues and friends to listen to Out Loud too. If you've enjoyed it, leaving a rating or review, especially on Apple Podcasts, helps others discover it too. Thank you.